from Topeka. When humans don't understand something, our lack of understanding may easily move into fear. To Jefferson City. We, we certainly have a stalemate that we haven't quite figured out how to get past. And back home again. All of you, you have failed me as a veteran. We have talked about capping 670 for a number of years, and we will have a lid that's being built, that's been financed, and more than anything, that will be a great gathering space for Kansas Cityans. Tonight, we're going out with the KCPD, doing a ride along. It's your local week dissected. Next. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes, and it's great to have you with us on our journey through the week's most impactful, confusing, and befuddling local news stories. I've got so many questions about what happened this week. For the answers, we turn to Mr. Up-to-Date on KCUR-FM, Steve Kraske. The news director of our NPR affiliate, Lisa Rodriguez, from the Call newspaper, reporter and managing editor, Eric Wesson, and from the pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. Let's start where we left off last week with the police department. The KCPD now under new management. This is the first full week on the job for new interim police chief Joe Mabin following the departure of Rick Smith. And within hours of taking over, he has a controversy on his hands. Who in the department allowed Missouri Senate candidate Eric Greitens to cut a campaign commercial featuring a ride-along in a Kansas City police car? Far too long now, leftists and rhinos have abandoned our police officers. Unfortunately, we have so many cowards, leftists and rhinos, who won't have their back, and that needs to change. And that's one of the reasons I'm going on a ride-along, is to make sure that we've got the perspective of what it's like for all of these men and women on their front line every day and every night. The KCPD has now launched a criminal investigation into the Greitens ride-along video. Is that an overreaction? Anyone in the public can request to go on a ride-along. Isn't the only difference here, Eric Wesson, that Greitens decided to take a camera along with him? He did attempt to use it for a campaign ad. Uh, the police officer, although they, they haven't released his name, sources say it was Captain uh, David Lohr, who just got promoted to captain... Uh, probably about a month ago, maybe. Is is and that law, as in L-O-A-R, as in Teresa Law, councilwoman, son? One and the same, yes. A criminal investigation, though, that seems kind of severe, Steve. I would bet money that the Kansas City Police Department had no idea he was going to start uh, tweeting and filming himself and proclaiming to the world that he was doing a ride-along with the KCPD. That's on Eric Greitens. Uh, and you're right, Nick. These ride-alongs, I've had students of mine do ride-alongs with the KCPD, but I'm sure the KCPD didn't expect Greitens to turn this into a campaign commercial, and I think Eric Greitens should have known better. This can't, be a great, this can't be a great look, though, for Joe Mabin. He just starts his job as interim police chief, uh, Lisa, and he's got this uh, big controversy to deal with. I mean, it's, uh, certainly this is not how he wanted to start his, his tenure as interim chief, but there is, you know, an opportunity for him that, you know, he inherited a police department that many people were criticizing for 
for corruption, for racism. And so it's an opportunity to show, hey, there are rules here. Does he want to be the permanent chief, Lisa? He said from the very beginning he has no intentions of applying for the chief of police job. Now, humans are humans, that, that may change, but I think that's the right course to go, that any time an interim is in the pool, they, they will naturally get uh, additional favor. And in order for this to be a completely transparent and fair process, I think it's important that he, he continues with that vow not to enter the pool. He could be here for a while, though. That job search for a new chief could last about a year. Steve? You know, going back to Eric Greitens, uh, Nick, one of his big rivals in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate, uh, the, the Attorney General Eric Schmidt, had just gotten the endorsement of the Missouri FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, Eric Greitens had some ground to make up. That's why he went on this ride along. That's why he tried to publicize it to the stars and back to let people know that he's a big pro-police guy, too. Eric. You know, but I guess at some point in time, if I'm uh, the captain and he's got a microphone on, he's got a camera crew out there, I'm going to ask, you know, what exactly are you doing? This isn't just a normal ride-along process. So I'm going to say, you know, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. Last week, by the way, one of the biggest news stories about the police department was the Board of Police Commissioners, Dave, announcing that now Kansas City, Missouri police officers can actually live in Kansas up to 30 miles across the state line. What does that actually do now? Does that actually create a situation where firefighters are now demanding that they also be able to live wherever they want? As we predicted on this program months ago, Nick, that's exactly right. The firefighters are looking around saying, hey, why do we have to live in Kansas City? That should not be a surprise. Uh, I do think the Board of Police Commissioners, as is their want, made a big mistake on this policy because the first time there is a serious incident involving a Kansas City, Missouri police officer who lives in Kansas, the criticism is just going to be overwhelming. And so I think they may at some point at least want to rethink this policy. You know, I understand the concerns of my colleagues about this issue, Nick, and this is controversial. That said, if you add, uh, ask the average Kansas City resident, would you rather have more officers on the force or uh, would you object to let, allowing those officers to live outside the city limits? In a heartbeat, they would say they'd rather have more officers, fuller staffing on the force. That's the big crunch that the KCPD is facing right now. But how are they recruiting and how are they trying to hire these officers? Are they going to the schools? What is the process that they're using? But that argument's been going on for 35 years since I covered the police department, Eric. And the problem remains, they don't have enough officers. This may be a path toward addressing that. I think most of us have read enough news stories of late about how challenging it is to find housing in Jackson County. Has it just become a lot worse as government leaders work to move more than 100 families from their homes? After years of debate, Jackson County leaders are ready to pick up the shovels and build a new jail. But the 1,200-bed facility is being built on the site of this mobile home park just a couple of miles from the Truman Sports Complex. They now have to find a new place to live. Dozens of those displaced residents confronted Jackson County officials at their meeting this week. There are set over the size of their compensation packages and how they were threatened with utility shutoffs and eviction notices if they didn't move. Frank White, all of you, you have failed me as a veteran who almost lost his life in Vietnam. And now I'm having to fight with the county. I feel like I'm back overseas again. I need a house to live. And because I don't qualify for benefits, 
I don't have any place to go. While their stories are painful to hear, is there any evidence they were treated differently than residents who have been forced to move due to some other big construction projects in our area, Lisa? Well, we're talking about now that remain in this Hart Mobile Park community are, are just a few residents that haven't moved out yet. Most of these hundred displaced residents have been able to move with assistance from the county. But I do think it's in the county's best interest to make sure that each one is taken care of and moved out. If we're really just talking about under 10 residents left there and that these are the most vulnerable people in our population, they have, they're suffering from disabilities, we've got veterans, I think it's in the county's best interest to do everything they can to make sure that they're relocated safely so they can build a jail. I, to me, it's a no-brainer. They got The residents got about $10,000 to move, Eric. The county agreed to pay all the relocation costs, including moving mobile homes as needed. One of the concerns that I heard from people that were in that trailer park was uh, that, their part, that their trailers weren't compatible with newer trailer parks. So a lot of them had to go and buy new trailers to relocate. So Which that costs was certainly more than $10,000. And they cost uh, substantially more than $10,000. Dave, the other thing is about this, though, of course, the jail that the, the currently exists downtown, the auditors have called it functionally obsolete, dangerous to both employees and those uh, being held for trial there. So did Jackson County really have much of a choice? Well, no, it had to build a, Jackson County had to and has to build a new jail. We've written extensively about the problems there. There's violence. Some of the uh, bars don't work. And it's a vertical structure, which uh, people in penology will now tell you is the wrong way. You want it horizontal. So there's a, a, a greater ability to control the inmates. So no, they had to build something new. Let me just say, you know, whenever you move residents, whenever there is a dislocation for a project, public or private, there are people at the end who just don't want to leave. And that's understandable. I mean, you're used to a life, you're used to a place, you've built your home or mobile home. I remember during the debate over the Speedway in Western Wyandotte County, there were at the end some holdouts and uh, it just takes a little bit longer and perhaps a little bit more money and more help to get to get those folks uh, to agree to move on. Eventually, it does happen. Up next, it has become the most vexing, emotionally charged issue in all of sports. Should transgender athletes be allowed to compete in women's events in Kansas? Lawmakers in the process this week of defying the governor and enacting a ban. When humans don't understand something, our lack of understanding may easily move into fear. Our history is full of examples of what happens when fear drives our decisions. I'm amazed that we're not hearing from more of those who are, if you will, feminists, standing up for young ladies. The motion prevails and the bill passes. The Kansas Senate not only overturning the governor this week on a measure restricting transgender athletes, they also defy her veto of a parent's bill of rights, which is now one step away from becoming law. We are waiting for the House right now to vote. But for all the heat and emotion on both of these issues, what difference, Steve Kraske, would they actually make if they became law? Are we just going to see an appeal to the federal court so we continue to be in limbo for many more months? That's a very likely outcome of all this, Nick, and it remains to be seen, particularly if the transgender bill will wind up getting overridden in the Kansas House of Representatives. In addition to the Senate, you need both houses to override a governor's veto here, Nick. But yes, further court fights on an issue like this that's so contentious 
uh, is uh, undoubtedly uh, coming up uh, in the months ahead. The thing about both both the trans sports bill and the parents bill of rights is that in effect, even if they both became law, there are these are not issues that routinely come up. Parents, if they want, can can get access to materials that are taught in schools. There is not a massive problem, despite what what lawmakers say of a large amount of, of trans women trying to compete in high school sports. But what this, the passage of these laws do is create an environment in which young kids and children feel like they need to stay in the closet. Lisa, even if they don't become law, have changes already happened just psychologically anyway? We've heard from teachers, for instance, who have had private meetings with their administrators being told, you know, when it comes to things like race and talking about gender in school to be cautious about what you're teaching kids. And we saw in Green Valley this week, for instance, one of the high schools there were asking teachers to remove the safe space signs for transgender students there. I, I think I think absolutely a lot of the damage has has been done already. Uh, Kansas, I think, would be like the 15th state if they pass a transgender ban or the 16th state. So so many other states now have done this. Where is all this talk of the NCAA boycotting the state or of corporations saying they would move their employees out of the state? I've not heard any of that. Right. And in Kansas, that discussion seems uh, pretty uh, muted, uh, uh, Nick, in part because, as you suggest, other states are doing this, too. And I'm sure uh, amateur athletic organizations are trying to figure out how they should respond, not only here, but other places. The NCAA, of course, has its own problems completely unrelated to this issue. So their attention may be uh, focused elsewhere. Um, I, I do think that there are unintended consequences to this. And one of them may be, may be uh, concern about uh, girls playing on men's or boys teams. I mean, there are girls who want to play football, for example. And there may be some effort to sort of ban that based on this legislation from the state of Kansas. So we can look for this to end up in the courts, not only here, but across the country. You know, Nick, I don't want to discount the sincerity by which advocates of these ideas, uh, many of the advocates hold, uh, they really want to see these things pass and they believe in them deeply. Having said that, uh, some context is important here. This is an election year. These issues, transports and parental bill of rights, these are wedge issues, cultural issues used to drive up a conservative voter turnout. That's why we're seeing a lot of attention placed on these issues in Kansas this year, as opposed to two years ago or next year. But they are dominating uh, a lot of the headlines, of course, Steve. But there are other issues happening in the Kansas legislature. Just very quickly here, I mean, there is still a push to enact sports betting. There's still a push to allow uh, medical marijuana. And there's still a push, Governor Pro uh, Kelly's biggest priority, axing, eliminating the food uh, sales tax on food, which, you know, could save the average family around $500 a year, they say. Which of those is most likely to pass the session as... Uh, lawmakers wrap up in Topeka, Steve? To me, it's looking like some kind of cut to the food sales tax, Nick. Just quickly, I think the legislature will pass a cut to the food sales tax, but they won't make it effective until next year after the gubernatorial election so that Laura Kelly won't get any credit yeah. for it and then dare her to veto the bill, which she is unlikely to do. I do think she, if they pass that, she'll be happy to sign it and say, hey, look, I was the one who started it's all this discussion. Right yeah, it's all politics. And to that point, just quickly, Nick, uh, keep an eye on the Kansas House on the transgender athletes bill. I'm not sure there are the votes there to override the veto. And if right. that's the case, then this issue will, of course, go away in Kansas.
In other news from our state houses, why are we still talking about congressional maps? Not to sound like a broken record, but Missouri is the only state in the country that has failed to redraw its congressional boundaries as required by law. And don't expect any resolution soon, Missouri legislative leaders now say this may still not be resolved by the time the session ends in two weeks. Do I think we will end up with a map by the time that we sign a day? I do not. We, we certainly have a stalemate that we haven't quite figured out how to get past. Meanwhile, in Kansas, a judge this week strikes down the congressional map Kansas lawmakers approved. You have a Democrat-elected judge, so there's just no surprise. The sooner we know the terrain of where these districts lie, the sooner the voters can be informed. So what happens now in Kansas? Is it back to the literal drawing board, Steve, or is this just the first step in what could be a long, 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 drawn-out appeal process that ends at the Kansas Supreme Court? Well, I think it could be the latter, Nick. There's a big push to get this to the Kansas Supreme Court. Uh, the expectation there is that the court would uh, side with the lower court ruling and reject the maps that the Republicans have passed here. Then we'll go back to lawmakers, give them a chance to come up with something very quickly here before filing deadlines. But Nick, this level of chaos over redistrict is one more reminder of why there's got to be a better way to do this and to hand this job to politicians. With congressional primaries just a few months away on both, in both states, is it conceivable that we could have judges say, look, let's not use any of these uh, new maps. Let's keep the existing maps exactly as they are and uh, we'll use new maps for the next election cycle in 2024. I don't think Missouri will be able to get away with this idea that we'll just use the old maps in 2022 because I think the Missouri Constitution specifically and explicitly says you have to have balance in your districts and they're out of balance. So the judges will give lawmakers a, a last chance if they can't fix the problem, the judges will draw the maps and impose them, and that's happened before. Next up, think about all the issues Kansas City is facing right now. Where would you rank building a park over the highway that crosscuts downtown? While we were talking to the police chief and the mayor last week, local and federal officials gathering to announce plans for a $160 million urban oasis park that will be built over I-670 highway. Picture green lawns, public art, playgrounds, dog parks, and spaces for arts groups to perform at an outdoor amphitheater. You will see shovels in the ground soon. You'll see a cap of 670. And more than anything, you'll continue to see a new downtown. This just gives another reason, not only for people to be in Kansas City, but for people to go home and talk about how great it was. All righty, Eric Wesson, think about all of the issues we're dealing with in Kansas City. Is this the top priority? On a scale from 1 to 10, with <laughs> 1 being the most urgent, I would have it at a number 11. Imagine, if you will, the, uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas going to Washington and saying, hey, we need $160 million for better schools or for road right. repairs uh, or to help, uh, you know, investigate alternative policing methods so that we can bring down the murder rate. You know, this is nice, but it is not, uh, it should not be at the top of the priority list, as, as uh, Eric just said. I'm assuming, though, Lisa, that things like violent crime, there isn't the same money available. Uh, this is, there's a lot of infrastructure dollars sloshing around Washington right now, and so there's money for this kind of a project. So I think, I think that's true, that people are more excited to, to dole out money and to approve money for infrastructure. I think, you know, there's, there was talk of some buy-in from, from area developments and from um, the Lowe's Hotel there to, to invest in these kind of shiny projects that directly benefit them, by the way. And so it is interesting how, 
how these you know private companies can come up with money when it's something that directly benefits them if if we had this money to spend where we wanted to could we make a bigger difference if we if you don't have to go too far outside of that downtown corridor to find places where this kind of money could make a transformational change I'm not sure when this became such a massive deal, and a must-see TV sports event, but the NFL draft is underway in Las Vegas. It's also a reminder that the clock is ticking for us here in Kansas City. We will host the NFL draft in 2023. The date has already been set. The three-day pro football spectacle will take place April 27th through 29th of next year in the area around Union Station and Liberty Memorial. The Kansas City Sports Commission claims it'll be one of the biggest sporting events this town has ever hosted. Really, Steve? Yeah. You know, I, I'm as surprised as you are, Nick. The NFL draft is now a big dang deal, and I don't get it either, except if you start watching the coverage, you can sort of get swept along with it because people are so uh, locked into this thing. It's going to be a, a, a lot of people in town next year for this event. Going to put uh, Kansas City on a high visibility scale when this uh, event comes to town. This is a very big deal, and it could generate, they say, a floor rate of about $150 million, uh, to Kansas City with hotels, restaurants. It's a really big event. People are already excited about it. I can't wait. Is it bigger, though, uh, Dave, than hosting a World Cup match, which we're also supposed to be oh, still oh, in the oh, no, no, for? No, no, Is no, it no. bigger than hosting a Republican National Convention, which we've done before? No, no. The RNC would be bigger. World Cup would be bigger. But it's big on its own terms. The interesting thing to me, Nick, is the deadline for finishing the new airport terminal at KCI is in March of next year. The draft comes here about six weeks later. If there's any slippage in that timetable, that's going to be problematic because thousands of people will be coming through the new terminal. And so that'll be interesting to watch, particularly because any new building needs a bit of a shakedown and the margin is really thin. That, I think, will be a big story a year. Another sports story bringing national attention to Kansas City this week, the Royals unveiling the biggest change to team uniforms in decades. In a revenue-generating move, Major League Baseball partnering with Nike in rolling out the new threads that are supposed to better connect the ball clubs to the cities in which they play. The big unveiling is the Saturday at the K as the Royals continue their series against the Yankees. Apparently, Nike presented the Royals with multiple themes, including barbecue and jazz. Is the fountain really the most iconic symbol for today's Kansas City, Lisa? Embracing jazz, embracing barbecue is probably more apt for, for what Kansas City hangs its hang on culturally over fountains, but eh, uniforms are nice. And the verdict from you, Eric? They didn't ask me, but I would have chose something else, too. I'm thinking jazz, maybe a saxophone in there where the KC goes. You know, fountains, they don't even have the fountains on all year round. And they don't even have all the fountains on anyway. But, hey, whatever marketing they can do to move the stadium from where it's at now to downtown, uh, <laughs> I'm all for it. The Royals, uh, as is their want, uh, turn to marketing gimmicks when the team isn't playing well. And, uh, you know, if you win, people will go to the games. If you don't win, they won't go. That's just been proven over and over in Kansas City, and maybe that's where you need to spend your time and attention. When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every big story making the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? 
New baseball uniforms aren't the only big reveal this week. The U.S. Mint finally revealing its new Negro Leagues baseball coins. It could bring up to $6 million in cash to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Did you know Missouri teachers ranked dead last in pay? Now Missouri lawmakers want to give them a $13,000 raise. That would put Missouri educators on the same pay level as their counterparts in Kansas. Would the Golden Girls have been banned from living in this Johnson County city, Shawnee becoming one of the first cities in the region to make co-living illegal? The city voting to prohibit subletting to unrelated adults. Leaders in Wyanot County are still trying to get to grips with a damaging cyber attack that's upended government services from court hearings to motor vehicle renewals. Inflation hits your local drive through several local fast food restaurants, posting signs saying you'll pay more if you order at night. No trip to the White House, but another victory lap for the Jayhawks, this time to the governor's office. Rock-tack Jayhawk. Governor Kelly declaring Monday Jayhawk Victory Day. The roller coasters roll back to life as Worlds of Fun reopens for the season. And this story tickled me. These remarkable images from Kansas as the Association of Lincoln Presenters meets in Lecompton. That's a lot of Lincolns. <laughs> Lisa, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? I, I did pick one of those stories. I think this issue of Missouri teacher pay is, is something that lawmakers have, have ignored or not acted on for years. We've, Missouri has been near last in, in, in starting teacher salary for years. And, and I, it's, it's hard to find someone who will do something about it. How are we okay with this, particularly after a pandemic, struggling with COVID learning loss, all of the burden we've placed on teachers, all the education issues we talked about today, I think it's something that's got to be that's got to be focused on. Eric, I am glad about the Negro Leagues baseball coins because I'll be getting mine in the mail next week. Dave, I think uh, the story in Wyandotte County about cybersecurity is something we really need to pay attention to because the exposure is not just limited to Wyandotte County. All governments uh, rely heavily on digital technology, and any disruption can be a big problem for residents. And uh, Kansas and Missouri, I've written about this, their digital uh, posture, if you will, Nick, is horrible. I mean, old equipment, old software, uh, upgrades are desperately needed, and the exposure to digital uh, terrorism is higher than I think a lot of people know. Steve. I'm going to go along with Lisa on this, Nick. I think it's boosting teacher pay in Missouri. The idea was dead. Now it's back again under the leadership of Governor uh, Mike Parson on this one. You know, the, the, the lack of support from state lawmakers for public schools in Missouri has even gotten to the point where some people question the motives of lawmakers. Do they actually want to wipe out public education in Missouri? This would help turn around that thinking pretty quickly. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed thanks to the stars Dave Helling, the calls Eric Wesson, and from KCUR, News Director Lisa Rodriguez, and Steve Kraske, who keeps you up to date every weekday morning at 9 on KCUR-FM. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.